Hi, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of The Pod With, the podcast where artists discuss their expertise in different areas, either in the music industry or causes they are passionate about. My guest today is Nathan Gray of Nathan Gray and the Iron Roses, but some of you may also recognize him as the voice of post-hardcore heroes Boys It's Fire. Nathan is about to release his third solo album titled Rebel Songs. Always vocal about injustices and social inequality, he flies the flag of revolution through creation and not destruction. In our chat, we discuss the connection between music and politics, how revolution comes from personal growth, and of course, the importance of creating safe spaces in music. Unfortunately, I face some minor technical issues towards the end, so please bear with me and enjoy our otherwise very interesting conversation. So thank you so much for joining me today. It's a pleasure to have you here. How have you been? I've been good. I've been good. I've been super busy recently, which is a good thing. So um, I'm happy. Things are going well. <laughs> I'm very happy to hear that. Uh, I would like to start from the very beginning. How did you get involved with music in the first place? Cool. Oh, I would say getting started with music was pretty natural because my parents both sang, both played guitar, and we always had music around the house. So um, I started getting into their albums. I'm going to say around like at a very early age, somewhere between five and eight, somewhere in there. And I remember playing like their old albums, which were like uh, old folk music, like Bob Dylan and Peter, Paul and Mary, Simon and Garfunkel, and also some old musicals like Les Mis and um, Man of La Mancha. So it was a, it was a pretty weird spectrum of things. So a lot of musicals and a lot of folk music. <laughs> And when did you uh, discover that you were able to sing? Uh, also early. And I, I think that it was, I don't know if I ever knew if I could. <laughs> I just did it. <laughs> so, and people said that it works. So I was like, okay, cool. I'm going to keep going with this. <laughs> awesome. Uh, how did you realize that music can have a political aspect? Actually, uh, my I favorite think, question that I've always wanted to ask, what radicalized you? Oh, that's, <laughs> I, I, I know the exact moment, really. Uh, I was, I want to make sure I get the grade right. I think I was in, I want to say 12th, no, 11th or 12th grade. Um, I think I had started listening to punk in eighth grade but it was more of just sort of that nihilistic, like, oh, I'm angry at the world type of thing. But I didn't really know where I was directing it. It was just that, like, yeah. Um, and then I think around 12th grade, uh, I remember finding a book uh, by Abby Hoffman in our school library, which I'm sure was a mistake on their part. <laughs> um, uh, Abby Hoffman and Jerry Rubin, there are two books that I found uh, that were, these guys were part of a movement called the Yippie Movement back during the 60s and 70s uh, that were a very political version of the hippies. And they worked very closely with the Black Panthers and other political groups at that time. And their whole aspect uh, uh, and movement was about 
uh, creating street theater and creating, uh, sh- basically showing the political world and shit for what they were, which was a joke. So they would come up with these elaborate schemes and jokes. Like um, one of the things they did was they went to Wall Street, they got up in the balcony and threw money out just to watch people scramble for it and show the greed. Uh, another one was trying to levitate the White House. Uh, they had a bunch of like witches and stuff around trying to levitate. And it was all for political theater and to make people laugh and think about what was going on in the world. But uh, that was the first, uh, along with some of the hardcore bands that were coming out at that time, like Born Against, uh, that really radicalized my idea of why, uh, of who I was and what I wanted to do politically, socially, and even musically. A few years ago, if you recall, I asked you to comment on your quote that it's a lot more interesting to be a revolutionary band than to be a political band because politics are boring. And uh, you answered, and let me quote here, that to become revolutionary is a personal and empowering process. Uh, Listening to rebel songs actually clicked that phrase for me. But for the people who may have different aspects, and for you, uh, why rebel songs and why now? How did you transition from the personal growth in the first two albums to Rebel Songs? Mm-hmm. Well, I, I well, number one, I'm I'm glad to hear that quote because I was I was scared that it'd be something like, oh, you know, it's it's something that I can actually stand behind of what I've said. So it was um that's very nice to hear that I said that because I fully believe that. And it is what Rebel Songs was based on. So going through the album, starting with Feral Hymns to Working Title to Rebel Songs was a process. So Feral Hymns, obviously there was a lot that I needed to get through in order to get where I am now. And I didn't want to continue to put out political and social commentary without first working on myself. Because I think that I had, you know, a lot of times I had a lot of misdirected anger and things that just weren't, it it wasn't working as it should. I think. And I I wasn't getting my message across properly in a lot of ways um, because the anger would take over as opposed to just the honesty of what I was feeling and, and the, the issues behind the politics. So uh, first up was putting out Feral Hymns, which is very stripped down, just me and a guitar uh, speaking on some very dark issues and issues that I needed to get through uh, about abuse in my past. And and then even going through my whole life of, I would say, giving into that feeling of unworthiness, of feeling that I deserved uh, abuse or deserved to be treated certain ways or didn't deserve happiness at the end of the day. So I really needed to delve into those dark dark subjects to then move on to working title, which sort of had me coming out of that shell a little bit and finding that healing to an extent, but still having some things personally I needed to talk about, you know, Uh, and to show the happiness and the, uh, I guess, sort of to show how your personal life doesn't have to be happy or sad. You know what I mean? It it can be both. It can be sort of a, a a ride in between all of that and, a, and an acknowledgement that life isn't all happy or all sad, like Instagram would make you believe. Um, so 
once I got through that, I, I feel like each album, it was sort of like helping me get to this point. And, um, cause I mean, music's always been this psychiatric couch for me, you know? So after getting through that and finding that healing and finding that happiness in, and, and when I say happiness, I say happiness in a way of I'm, I am happy overall. That doesn't mean I'm not, I don't still struggle with depression. It doesn't mean I don't still struggle with things, but I do it from a different perspective now, you know, and that's important to know is that all of a sudden one day, you're not going to be fixed. You're not going to be all better. More than likely the rest of our lives, we will have broken pieces of us that need healing and that need attention, but it's setting a different perspective behind that, knowing that you're going to fall and knowing that you can pick yourself up after that in the knowledge that you will fall again. And that's just part of life. So past that, uh, when I started looking into doing this next album and doing Rebel Songs, it just started flowing out naturally what I do, which is social and political commentary. But it started coming out of a, a more joyful place, a more accepting place, a more honest place, and not just, ah, I'm mad about this and you should be too. You know, more about here are the issues we face, but they aren't issues that we always have to face. Here are the issues that we face, but here is why we can maintain joy and hope while fighting against these issues. Uh, is the change in your mood actually reflected in the fact that your influences changed for this album? You have so many different things going on. You even have uh, Spanish Civil War songs. How? Yes. <laughs> How? I was it very was, happy to hear that because I love that song. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> it, was, it was funny because I think as I began to delve more into the political as personal, you know, and the personal as political, um, I started looking into other areas of music that I listened to, but perhaps haven't put much into, haven't had a lot of influence, you know, at least not musically. And listening to certain hip hop albums, listening to certain reggae albums and world music and, um, and, and you know, whatever, um, it, Calypso, you know, whatever, like start listening to these these things that actually spoke out on a lot of issues, but in a much joyful manner, in a, in a way that says we see the evil in the world and, and what we see that we're fighting against has no happiness. They have no joy. We have joy. And that's what attracts people to a better way of life, is to knowing that this better way of life is where joy resides. This is where happiness lives, you know, and they don't have to be angry. They don't have to be fearful. They don't have to lose hope to these, these bigots, to this awfulness that's out there in the world. They can come over to where we are, where there's hope and pure happiness and joy. And, and honestly, like a lot of that was, was in listening to old, Uh, reggae albums, especially like Bob Marley and Toots and the Maytals, and then some more uh, modern hip hop, like uh, Toby Nwigwe, who's just a brilliant artist. And everything that he does, it's very uh, socially commentary driven, 
but joyful and happiness and energetic and full, you know? And it just made me think that I need that. I want that in my life, you know? And that's what I'm feeling. So it just started to meld into what I was doing. And it was funny because I had to check in with like people I was working with, like my friend, Phil Eugenius or Gene and, um, I, Phil does a lot of hip hop or like Gene and uh, Jed who know a lot about reggae and stuff like that. Checking in is like, is this okay? Am I doing this right? You know? And, and every time it's like, yeah, keep going, keep going. Maybe add this chord in, maybe do this, maybe um, do the, uh, the beat a little bit like this. You know what I mean? And it was great having that feedback to where I wouldn't put out something that was well, stupid, you know, like somebody going, oh, he's trying too hard, you know. <laughs> This is beautiful, actually. Uh, what was the biggest challenge that you faced writing and recording this album? Uh, writing music out of my spectrum. Writing, and I don't mean that just in musical style. I mean in literal chords. Like I have always, on the last two albums you heard, that is me playing guitar in drop D, with a power chord that only uses one finger. <laughs> so I was really like, Gene and Jed had to really work with me to get me to play full chords in standard tuning and like really delve in to what I could do musically. And it was great to have friends like that that were like, instead of because there was a point where I'm like, well, can you just do it? And they're like, no, we can't. You have to do it. This is Nathan Gray. You do it. You know, we can show you how to do it. We can help with some of the backups and stuff like that. But the main part of it has to be you. So, and it was, I mean, it's awesome to have friends like that, you know, that will help you, but won't do it for you, you know? So it was, it, that was, that was it. Like, and that was my biggest thing. And I would sit there for hours. They could tell you where it's just like, doing leads or doing uh, chords and just like, oh, I can't, and frustrated, just like almost in tears, so frustrated. And then finally I'd nail it and do demo it. And like, I'd be so proud of myself, you know, it'd be great. So that was my biggest, I think, challenge. And as of late, I think the solo project has become Nathan Gray and the Iron Roses. Yes. So you have the full band officially playing with you and not bucking you. Uh, yes, how do you yes. choose the people that you work with? Very carefully, actually. It is, I have a very strict belief that if my name is the main name in that, that anyone that I work with has to um, be respectful of not me necessarily, but of the fans and friends that I've acquired throughout the years. So there, there has always been a very long talk with anyone joining this band on what they represent um, and how they should behave during, at shows in general, you know, and if, and if that can't be copacetic, then they can't be involved. Um, fortunately, I work with a lot of great people, you know, and those talks were very easy, sometimes uncomfortable because it's weird when, when you know that someone's good and that they're gonna be okay with what you're saying but you still have to say it you know it's like it's it's difficult sometimes but there is a certain way that I feel that I need to act uh especially on the road 
um, playing music. And that has to be shown with everyone I work with. Uh, and my main issue is that anyone that plays with, with me on a stage, on an album, has to have the utmost respect for who we're playing for. Um, you can't get loaded every night. You can't, you know, um, uh, I mean, a big one is I, I tell everybody that's on the road with me, if you end up being sketchy on the road, I'll literally leave you at the club. That's it. Find your own way home. Um, so it's, uh, I, I think more bands should do that. I'm going to be honest with you. Cause I think we've seen in a lot of areas where women are coming forward with things that have happened to them at shows and with bands. And it's because we don't vet each other properly. We don't, uh, watch each other properly. We don't hold each other accountable properly. Um, and, and that's, that's important for me. I think moving forward, it's important for me, myself, to be held accountable. And I think that other people that I work with must be held accountable as well. And we all have to be in that trust tree together. The themes that you touch on are deeply personal and very political, but musically, there are different nuances in the heaviness. How do you choose which sound best represents the message that you want to convey? Uh, they sort of come together. It's weird. Like, um, some of the music actually lent to what I would sing about on this album. So like we'd start working on the music I would write. So usually how the music would work is I would write the bones of the song and then I'd invite Gene and Jed to come in to sort of help me put pieces here and there to sort of figure out. And they'd be like, okay, what are you trying to do with this song? Where are you going with it? What do you, you know? And we'd have a big conversation and work through it and get the proper chords and everything. And then once it was written, it'd be like, ah, that's what this song's about, you know? Um, and then at the same time, some of it, I'd write down a bunch of lyrics and like, we need to fit a song to these lyrics, you know? And, and it would, it would just match up. Um, And I think that it was a lot of fun to deal with not only, you know, not only just those weird influences and those things that I haven't brought in before, but even playing with the idea of what is punk music? What is like heavier styled music? What is guitar music? You know what I mean? Like, uh, how do you redefine that? Because it's, I think that a lot of people think you can't. I think that a lot of people have given up on guitar-driven music. Uh, I think the industry in general has given up on it and because it's not in, in right now. And I know that I have talked to a lot of people that have become sort of jaded and a little bit upset that what they do and what naturally comes out of them isn't wanted in the industry, which fuck the industry, you know? Um, and I think that gives us a a command of sorts to become more creative well if you want people to pay attention don't write boring music you know uh don't keep writing the same chords don't keep playing the same music don't keep playing the same songs over and over do something new do something that draws people to what you do um so it has been it was a challenge but i think that we we rose to that challenge and I, i'm very proud of that 
It's not unusual to see people complaining that uh, when artists get more political, that they should stick to music. Thankfully, both you in your solo career and Boses Fire have had a very loyal fan base and people who align with your views. But did you ever mm -hmm. fear that it could backfire? Uh, yeah, but at the same time, I think that fear is positive. I love it. I love having that sort of butterflies in my stomach. Like, are they going to like it? You know, and I, I'll be honest, I was more concerned that people might dislike the music than the ideas, you know, but at the same time, we live in a very polarized world at the moment. And how do you convey these thought points without people immediately shutting you off? And what I've found is joy, the joy behind it, the, the, the welcoming behind it and the discernment behind it. Because I think there are some people that unfortunately are just lost. You know, there's some people that they're not going to like what you do, no matter what you fucking do. And if you have a different opinion than them, you're done, you know. Uh, but there are a lot of people that are on that gray line. There are a lot of people that you could you can open their hearts to love and joy and hope and to real change uh, that maybe they they they've lost. You know, I think that many people who have sort of wandered over and I say this because I did it. I think that I say this from experience. When I was angry and lost, people, some people don't remember this, but some people will. There was a point, Nathan Gray Collective, where I started teetering over to the other side, you know what I mean? And just being very angry and, and falling into things that I don't love about myself now, you know? Um, but, um, and being, and, and misdirected angry. And um, I think that people that are fearful and angry at other human beings, like, say, immigrants, uh, refugees, uh, things of that nature, it's because they've been guided to feel that way. It's not necessarily that they have that hate in their heart. They're scared. And how do we approach those people? It's not easy. But it's worth it. And I think at the end of the day, I don't think I should tell anyone else what to do. But for me, I feel that mission. I feel that motive to go out and say the truth in a way that maybe might grasp the hold of someone's heart that wouldn't normally hear it. You know, uh, put these very personal political ideas in a joyful manner, in a hopeful manner, in a way that people won't immediately feel defensive because that's what happens. People are fearful and they're defensive. And when you come out and you say certain things in a very angry and like forceful way, they immediately go, they're hurt, can't accept it. You know, there's a lot of broken and hurt people out there. And when they hear this forceful message and they immediately go, well, And I don't think they realize they're saying it, but they're saying, what about my needs? What about my brokenness? What about my hurt? Screw those people. I hurt. So how do we get around that? You know, I, I don't know necessarily what the answer is, but I like putting that question out because that's what I'm looking to do. I'm looking to put out something, not, and not just in the message, not just in the, the shows, Uh, I'm sorry, the albums, but also in our performances. And that's 
how I try to guide the rest of the band in that we are here to heal. We are here as uh, almost missionaries, you know what I mean? Like it's a weird word, but it's a ministry of sorts to go out and to let people break down a little bit. Let them show what's going on and give them a safe place where they can also be respected for their hurts and their feelings uh, and be guided in to this safe place of love and hope and caring that can then put their hearts on a different path towards others. Because isn't that sort of the purpose of healing is so that you can then move on to help others. Broken people aren't going to necessarily be able to see the brokenness in others, aren't going to be able to see how they can help others. But once they find healing, it's all you want to do. I mean, I know in my situation, the second I started finding healing, I'm like, oh my gosh, I want other people to have this. You know, when I was more broken and hurt, I was more like, I'd see somebody smile and I was like, what the fuck are they smiling about? You know, like I'd be upset that they were finding any joy in life, you know? But now I see people who are upset. I see people who are hurt and angry and I want to hold them. I want to hug them. I want to tell them that, that that hurt can be respected without hurting others, you know? So that's really the mission behind all of this. Okay. Uh, side note, if you want to hug people in these times, first of all, ask for consent. Yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And usually, and that's, you know what? And it's so easy uh, to do that, by the way, like, At, at shows, especially when you see uh, people, it, it, it's, it's sort of awesome to remember to ask first, you know what I mean? Because you're going to have people who are just sort of breaking down, who are upset and just sort of like, you can either make like a signal, like put your hands out or say, can I give you a hug? And I, I've done that at the, uh, at the merch table as well. When people come up and you can tell they're struggling. You know, and they want to talk about things that I've said and things. I was like, excuse me, can I give you a hug real quick? You know, and, and that's a great point. And I think more people should be cautious and understand that, that it is important to make sure that what you're doing is actually healing someone and not scaring them or putting them in a bad place. But what about your mental capacity? Are you always able to take in what people say? And when they tell you maybe what they've gone through, are you able to process no. it? Yeah, no, not that? at all. And that's, and that's the honesty of it. And I think that what I need to do, and it was funny, a friend of mine um, who was doing a, uh, it was funny, a tarot reading for me once. And she's a really good friend of mine. And, and, uh, and it was fun. You know, it was like, she did this reading. But then after that, she said something that hit me really hard. And uh, this was in the beginning of this whole, it was like during feral hymns and stuff. And she was like, look, when you get up on stage and it's almost like you rip yourself open and you just pour your guts on the ground and people walk up and they take parts and they take those parts with, with them. How do you pull that back? How do you regain what you lost? You know, basically, how do you, get all that back. And I was like, I just sort of broke a little bit. because I was like, I don't, she's like, you have to, because if you don't, you're not going to be any good to anyone. You're going to fall apart, you know? And what I have found 
is surrounding myself with these friends, creating the Iron Roses and having this, this band surrounding this who I am, it's made a world of difference. And it, it's, it's crazy, like the way that we are able to work off each other, how also sometimes they can go and speak with people. You know what I mean? Like, like Becky, like sometimes women are not as able to come speak to me as maybe they could with her and feel a little bit more comfortable, you know? How awesome is that? You know what I mean? To have like a group, a diverse group of people that anyone could go to talk to anyone. And that's why it's so important for me to vet who I'm using because they are examples of what we are talking about. And so I have a very diverse group. Uh, Jalen, who's trans, you know, people who you can come and talk to if you don't feel personally, you know, comfortable talking to me. And that's great. You know, it helps you can me. relate to different them. experiences. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and not only that, but also it's great in that we as a band together are finding healing through this together as well. And we have our friendships to like, I remember in Detroit, we were playing and some guy came up to talk about his son and there was, it was, it was very emotional. And I remember Phil just sort of lost it and Michael was crying and Becky was holding them. And like, you know, it was like, and it was so great though, because, because you can do that at our show. You know what I mean? We can do it. You can do it. We can all just fucking break the fuck down and lose it and hold each other in that moment and work through it together. And I feel like that sets an example to others that this is okay. You know what I mean? Like we're not up here on this pedestal. We're human beings. We're, you know, this diverse group of human beings that are here to work together with you on this, you know? And that's where that, because I don't know a better word for it, that ministry comes into it, you know? And, and in, in for ourselves and others. You know, I remember that tarot reading from the book and that phrase, mm -hmm. I remember where I was when I read it. It hit me so hard because I tend to do that with my friends. And mm -hmm. in general, I'm better at handling other people's crises than I am at handling my own. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, for you, what steps do we have to take in order to create individually and collectively, more safe spaces in music? Um, it comes to uh, bands, promoters, um, to, uh, you know, clubs to create that space. I think that it is, uh, I don't want to say less beholden on the people who come to the spaces, but I feel like we can set the example to help You know what I mean? Um, and I, I hate to say this is what other people should do because at the end of the day, I need to concentrate on what I should do. Uh, and telling other bands what they should do is really out of the picture. Um, but for me, um, we need to create these spaces uh, where we are watchful and mindful of what's going on in the audience. These are dark rooms. They are, you know, they can be, they can be peaceful. They can also be menacing to some people, you know, 
There can be uh, triggers. There can be situations where, and 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 we all know this. The stories of like some guys just can't seem to walk past a fucking girl without putting their hands on, you know. And we need to be not only watchful, but. Uh, of body language we need to be watchful and mindful of how people are reacting in the audience and looking around um and also open i would say creating an open atmosphere that if someone feels uncomfortable that they know they can say something um is it a perfect solution no uh but also I guess also in a way we have to make sure that we're setting an example in what we say to, to the audience, because I feel like audiences react off of what the band says a lot of times. If it's just fuck it, party, get laid, drink, you know, people are going to act stupid, you know, but if you're putting out a different atmosphere, I feel that people feel that and they react accordingly. Um, but we do need to talk about it. You know what I mean? And we need to talk about uh, our role as men in the scene. And we need to talk about that more. There's two things. Our role as men in the scene in how we treat others. And not only that, but something that I touched on a lot when I was coming through with just me and a guitar was finding the brokenness in us that reaches out and hurts others. Uh, and I got a lot of really cool feedback from the tour that I was doing with just me and, uh, another guitar and cello, um, because I was speaking on that a lot. And I had a lot of guys come up to me who were not able to admit to things that had happened to them in their past. And that hurt had then caused them to create hurt around them. Not only that, but hearing from people's girlfriends, wives, uh, women in general in men in their lives who had finally opened up to them about these things. And, and maybe, you know, they were causing unhappiness in their relationship until they were able to finally say something and do something about what they had dealt with in their lives. So it's such a multifaceted thing. And unless we come into it with a lot of love and understanding, we're not going to create any kind of safe space for anyone. Um, but that's it. Communication, uh, constantly nailing home these points on how we should be behaving to each other and how respectful we need to be of one another and just creating that atmosphere of love and acceptance and diversity. And, um, I think you're going to do the best you can with that, you know? So it may not be the perfect answer, but you know, it's a start. And and no, no answer is it's not, there's not going to be a perfect answer. And until, you know, I think until we start getting feedback from people who are directly affected and we start using that to base what we do, uh, we won't get closer to that perfect answer, you know? And, and I guess that's, that's something that I should add it. So I think, and thank you for jarring that in my head. I think that we need to listen more and listen to the stories, listen to people who don't feel safe Mm. and how you can provide a a safer atmosphere and a safer space for people who don't feel safe. And, And how horrible is that to like 
not feel safe in a place that should be the safest place on earth. This communal area where we come together to, to listen to music and to feel accepted and to, and to not feel safe in that. Oh my God, how dare anyone not allow someone to feel safe in that, you know? So listening is super important in that. How and to what degree has the acceptance of your identity helped the expression through your art and the way you experience it? Um, I mean, it's been everything. I think that, you know, accepting everything about myself, the good, bad, and the ugly, and, you know, just anything that comes up, just going, yep, that's part of me. You know, it's like, um, it all started with coming to terms with the abuse that I faced as a child um, and being able to accept that what that wasn't my fault. And then at the same time, being able to accept that my sexual identity and orientation was not, had nothing to do with that, you know, uh, because that was a struggle throughout my life. You know, it's like, well, do I have these certain feelings and this identity and the way I am because of this and they have nothing to do with one another, you know? Um, And just learning to be a complete person and to discern between what's toxic in my life and what is who I am and what is to be celebrated in my life, you know, and that's discernment in and of itself has just been like a, a mind blowing, like just life transformative situation, like learning that, like what parts were toxic and what per parts are me and what parts I was confusing with each other. Sorry to interrupt you, you know? but you were conditioned yeah. by society to think that. Yes, without a doubt. And that's how our society is, is conditions us, conditions men, conditions women, conditions those who are non-binary, conditions all of us, no matter who we are or how we identify, we are conditioned in certain ways that are very hard to break. And even when we break out of those in a very outward way, sometimes internally, it's still that struggle, you know, and it's still very difficult to come to, come to terms with. Um, so all we can really do, as I said before, is come together to try and give each other this safe area to express that, to be that, to be able to hear that you are loved and accepted for exactly who you are, not who society wants you to be, not even to something that I need to understand. I don't need to fucking understand, you know? I need to accept that this is who you are and that I love you the way you are. Uh, do you think that society, in times that seem very uh, regressive, is actually capable? of uh, accepting people? Um, yes. And I say that because I have to. <laughs> because if I say no, then I give up. You know? Um, I think that we have no choice in the matter. We have to create what we want to see. Um, and if we do not, and if we do not believe that it is a workable solution, then what's the point? Why work? Why struggle? What is our purpose in this life, if not to make it better? You know, so I, I feel like um, 
the regressive and progressive is going to go back and forth. <laughs> it's going to, you know, it, it feeds off of each other, you know, in this society. And you're going to have people that just sort of fall into the mob mindset and they become fearful and they become angry. And those are the people that we need to reach if we're ever going to have hope of fighting this, you know, uh, we're going to have to reach people like I once was. We're going to have to reach people like we don't want to talk to. There are people out there that we want to dismiss. We want to go, uh-uh, no, 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 that's too much work. <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> and, and, and once again, coming back to discernment, there are some folks that please don't waste your time, you know, <laughs> like on some people. There are some people that are so lost that it, Honestly, it's just a waste of your energy. But there is that discernment that we all need to have when we see someone that is just struggling on that line and they're not there yet. They're not quite there yet. We can still reach those people. We can still bring them hope. We can still show them the good in humanity. And we can change the world that way, one person at a time. And I truly believe that. And if we don't truly believe that, then what's the point? You are correct. It's a thing that I had never seriously considered. I, I see myself not really as a pessimist, but more of a realist. And sure, the way that I perceive things and how society is going backwards is very mm -hmm. frightening. Like yeah. on most days, you will hear me saying that okay, this this whole thing, this whole planet needs to be nuked. We need to let yeah. it breathe without us on it. Right, right. And, and you know, it's funny. I have found that there are a lot of intersections between realism and pessimism. <laughs> and, and I say that because I, I don't know if realism is, is really as real as we think it is. Um, no, it's I think we Yeah, we set these standards of what real is And I remember there was this quote, I was speaking on musicals and Man of La Mancha with Peter O'Toole. And there's this line, and I, I can't remember the whole thing, but you can probably look it up. And at the, the biggest insanity of all is to see life as it is and not as it should be. And that has stuck with me for so long and it keeps coming back. That, that idea that how awful it is to see things as it is and not as it should be every day of our lives. It's hard. It's a struggle. But again, it's worth it because otherwise, what is the purpose of life? We just fall into this nihilistic void where there is no purpose and there is no change and there is no anything. It's just, this is just how it is. Nothing changes with how it is. It just never will. Do you think that we will see a big change, big positive change in our lifetime? Yes. And I think that we already have in our lifetime. We've seen big changes. Um, we've seen big fights against those big changes. But we have seen big changes, you know. Uh, and, and even if it's just in our own personal surroundings, you know, I have seen uh, the acceptance of non-binary people, trans people, actually grow. 
we also see a big fight against that. And we tend as humans to focus on that fight. <laughs> you know what I mean? On the negative. Instead of seeing that, oh my God, we're talking about non-binary people? Like, you know what I mean? Like, but that wasn't even a thing many years ago. You know what I mean? But we're actually taught, we, we are giving these assholes something to try to fight against. You know what I mean? Whereas before people just had to shut up and take it. Now it's literally being talked about. That's awesome. That's huge. It is huge that people can be trans and non-binary and that there are actual rooms of acceptance for people. Like, it's not just all fuck you, you should die. You know what I mean? That's, seriously, like, it just like, I, growing up in the 80s, when the AIDS epidemic was, oh, these gay people, they're infecting the world with AIDS. That's not a thing anymore. You know, like, like that's, we, we don't scapegoat uh, people in the LGBTQ community, at least not as a whole, for the AIDS epidemic, you know, um, or even, even intravenous drug users. That's not a thing. We're not, you know, and that's huge. And we're, uh, we need to notice those steps and, and focus on those steps and continue that fight. Because the problem is the reason why people fight us on these things is because they know we're, we will wear out. That's what it is. They know how we are <laughs> and they know that our hearts are big. And they know that our hearts put a lot into these things. And if they fight long enough, we will give up. We can't give up. We have to keep looking at the positive. We have to keep looking at the love and the hope and all that we can bring out of this. Because the second we give in to, oh, there's just too many people against it. Fuck them. Like, so what? So what? Is this still not right? then why are we not fighting for it? You know, why, why are we giving up on something if it is right, just because people can't accept it? I mean, we've, we've come through so many changes in this world. And every time we see this kickback from hatred and fear and bigotry, and a lot of times we lose hope because we see that kickback because it's strong, but it's not strong enough. It's not strong enough if we don't give up. If we keep pushing forward, it can't keep going. They will wear out before we do. Can I be honest for a second? Mm -hmm. I really love your growth. In the years that I've known you, you have transitioned from an angry person, a very intelligent, but still angry person, to a very passionate person. And this is amazing. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> We need to start rubbing things up. Uh, we see a rise in censorship across various platforms. Do you think that this because there is some sort of neoliberalism, sorry, neo-puritanism going on, or that uh, those platforms are afraid they're going to lose their ads and investors, so they decide to censor the naked human body and at the same time help promote hate speech and even promote genocide? It is, it's a combo of a lot of things, I think. Um, you have a rise in accountability right now uh, where people have more access to holding people accountable. Um, you also have platforms which they are beholden to their sponsors. 
Um, at the same time, not all those sponsors are going to be guiding them in the correct direction. Um, and once again, we live in this polarized world, you know, uh, where you have this is the way or nothing. This is the way or nothing. You know, uh, I tend to fall to this side a little bit more, uh, mostly because it is far more well-intentioned <laughs> when, when we're speaking against hatred and we're speaking against these things and trying to, you know, it's a hard thing because censorship in and of itself doesn't necessarily come from private platforms. It's a government thing. It's a, you know, and I think we get that confused sometimes instead of allowing private companies to do what they do. We're always like, ah, you're censoring me. Well, are they though? You know, because I see like a lot of times you have, especially right-wing bigots who are always like, uh, Facebook won't let me talk with about 10 microphones in front of their face. You know, I, I feel like it's almost like a certain side's way of getting more attention is to say that they won't let you talk. You know, I, I feel like you're talking just fine because everybody seems to know your story, dumbass. Like, you know, um, so it's, it's hard because I don't know if people are actually really getting censored or it's just a hot story to tell people in order to get more attention. And then at the same time, you have this uprising of people wanting to hold people accountable. And I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. I think that, you know, what they call cancel culture is just what it's always been. Is people going, nope, don't like that. Not going to support it. Okay. It just has I, a way It's weird. Like, now. Yeah. And that's, and great. Good for that. You know what I mean? Like if, if you don't like that people don't like what you're saying, change what you're saying. If you don't care that no one likes what you're saying, then don't change what you're saying. Who the fuck gives a shit? Like, it's just like, it's so weird when people whine about like, oh, cancel culture. It's not doing anything to you. No one's doing anything to you. Either change your jokes or change your opinion or keep saying what you're going to say and there's going to be some kind of platform for it. But if people don't like it, they don't fucking like it. You can't force people to like what you say. Like, and that's, you see what I'm saying? It's just such a convoluted situation where like when we start talking about censorship or uh canceling people or or you know whatever it is it's such a confusion and i think that some people want it to be that confusing because then they can say shit that's not true you know and and that's where we get to with that like uh somebody puts out a um a video, oh, the media didn't want you to see this. I feel like I see this wherever I go. So I, I what are you even talking about? Like, like it's, it's almost like that Eminem song that where he says, radio won't even play my jam. Dude, it's on every radio. What are you talking about? Like, you know, like it's, it's a weird thing that I, people don't think when they hear people saying that crap, they just go, he said he says he's being oppressed, so he's being oppressed. But then you don't look around and see like every media source is just begging him to say stupid shit 
to get algorithms going, to get people pissed off, to get things, you know. So I've I've had to, in a lot of ways, switch off a lot of media, switch off a lot of um, uh, one of the things that I did notice, especially on Facebook, they will put you in fights. If you have a certain opinion and the algorithm sees your opinion, it'll start showing you things that violently oppose what you say. So you go argue with them. Facebook just got caught in this. Um, and, and that, I think, is disgusting. To pit people against each other uh, and have people go to war with each other to boost your ad revenue. That's gross. And uh, so when we talk on this, it's a multifaceted thing. It's something that we would have to go for hours point by point <laughs> to, to really get to the bottom of it all. But at the end of the day, I do think that uh, social media p- platforms are fucking up. They are, they are not, they are not being consistent. They're not being uh, truthful and honest about uh, how they are doing these things. And they're being lazy is another issue. When you give these things to algorithms, when you give these things to fallible situations like this, it's going to end up like this. And I think that at the end of the day, their bottom line is whatever corporation, you know, is paying them or giving them the money they need to keep going. So, uh, I, you know, what, what hope can you put in that? Right? <laughs> so what we need to do as human beings is to break away from that a little bit and not let them start the Hey, let you and them fight, you know, (laughs) Um, uh, mentality and stop letting politicians, stop letting media, stop letting social media, stop letting other people get you into fights. It's, it's ridiculous. Like they want you to fight for their benefit. So you pay them. So you give them your vote. They don't, politicians don't even fucking try anymore. They don't try to stand on issues. They don't try to have actual ideas or uh, for bills and for infrastructure and for different things that like need to happen in our countries. They just get into culture war bullshit and get us fucking fighting against each other so they can make more money. It's ridiculous. So the only way to fight that is to not feed into it and to, and to realize that we are all getting screwed right now. And until we learn to come together and not villainize each other we're going to be screwed you are right let's let's have another talk add another point yes we have so many more things to talk about but unfortunately this is all the time we have for today thank you so much for joining me enjoy the rest of your day you as well oh your night i guess yes (laughs) yes (laughs) 